hey, do you want to be part of this club of believers who <laughs> constantly annoy people and bang on <laughs> sounds because they have all the answers? It's like, uh... Hello, and welcome to episode one of Sons of Ignatius. I am Father Nile And I am Father David Lugo. Hello, Father David Lugo. How are we doing, Niall? Do you and I, we go way back, even though we are very far apart. If I remember correctly, we studied theology together in Toronto. That's right. We studied many things together in Toronto, everything from bread baking to bike riding to maybe some theology. I'm not really sure I remember much of it now. Yeah. And yeah, I, I studied swimming as well. Uh, but, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, let me let me put it another way then. The reason we were in Toronto together was to study theology. That's right. And so it was part of our formation for theology in our formation for priesthood, you know? And so right. neither of us were priests then, but for some reason, both of us have ended up with father before our names, by the grace of God. <laughs> so the authorities that be deemed that we had indeed studied sufficient theology to, to be ordained mm -hmm. priests. And, yeah. and here we are. And, and that we were found worthy, according to the <laughs> right, you know, I, I heard somebody say, <laughs> you know, and do I, we know him to be worthy? Yeah. Yes, I think we yeah. do. Yeah, they did. And I've said I kind of I kind of miss theology a little bit, so maybe that's why we're doing a podcast, or I'm doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah, and so it's great. You know, you reached out to me to see if we could. I think part of part of it there's a sort of subversive reason why I think you and I are launching this podcast, and part of it is like, hey, I want to chat with you more. <laughs> there's a lot that we <laughs> yeah, don't really yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we want to we want to talk more. You know, yeah, about yeah. all things Catholic, and also just kind of like, hey, two buddies talking about things that we really care about. You know, uh, my phone just went off. Sorry. Um, go away, phone. Go away. Uh, yeah. So, what what are we going to talk about in this podcast, Dave? Well, so I think the idea behind this podcast is that you and I both are avid podcast listeners. We like podcasts, mm -hmm. but also we find that uh, maybe there's not a lot of conversation that around Catholic topics generally, you know. And well, there are there are a lot of good Catholic podcasts, but you and I have a particular angle, perhaps. We're both Jesuits, and you know, we were thinking like. If we were to record a podcast about all things Catholic, touching on any number of Catholic topics that are of interest to to the Catholics of the world, you know, you're in Ireland, I'm in Florida, and we have a, I think, a unique perspective on different needs that especially young Catholics are asking and looking for or to answer. And I think you and I can, you know, explore some of those things together. Uh, and also just being Jesuits, like we have a particular gift in the church, which is Ignatian spirituality and the Ignatian outlook on the world and, you know, being Jesuits in our charism. And how can some of that maybe help to maybe answer some of those those questions about what it means to be a Catholic today? Right. So 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 give a little bit of the Ignatius angle on on the church and and the mission. I'm I'm really interested in talking about the mission today, the church's mission. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are a lot of podcasts out there which are doing a really good job at, I think, explaining the faith uh, mm. to people and you know, evangelizing apologetics. You know, so they're obviously yeah. in in a secular sort of Western world. Uh, there is there is a need just to to explain the faith, um, but I also think there is a need for the formation there's a need to form missionary disciples so mm -hmm. it's as soon as we embrace the faith embrace the gospel we are sent out we are sent out yep. to as as missionaries and that's that's a whole other ball game to be honest like it's it's one thing to accept 
Jesus as your Lord, to to live according to the Holy Spirit, whatever, to, to be a member of the church, to live, to participate in the life of the church. And then it's quite another thing to to go out and to mm-hmm, share mm-hmm. that with other people. And right. I certainly um, am passionate about that. And, and how how does that work? How do we do that well? How do we, you know, how do we learn from our mistakes? Uh, what what does the church say about all this? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're yeah. questions that interest me. Yeah, and I think maybe one of the things that you and I are interested in, uh, which may be of interest for other people, is, you know, not shying away from any kind of thorny issue or like what does the church say about, you know, environmental questions, you know, and what as two Catholic priests, two young Catholic men, you know, what are we thinking in terms about like the church's views on, you know, gender, the church's views on marriage, the church's views on politics, the church's views on liturgy. Like how, how does the church and in particular two Jesuits, how do we approach these questions without fear, but also with just a certain humility of like, you know, Niall, you and I are both missionary disciples first. Like we're both disciples of Christ before anything else. And I think if anything else, our conversations can be helpful for me too. Just to kind of process, like I, I struggle with some of the things that, you know, we teach as Catholics and that we try to convict ourselves of. And, you know, like some of the environmental questions, for example, that you have a lot of expertise in that I want to learn more about because I've never studied in depth, you know, what the church says about, you know, our commission, our, our commitment to caring for God's creation or, like you can teach me a ton about that or um, and vice versa, you know, like there's things that I have a lot more experience in that you don't. And I think partly is this accountability of two brothers in the Lord and, you know, and two priests trying their best at their at their priesthood, you know, starting out. Um, and maybe that some of the things that you and I learned together, we can share and also others can probably benefit from. And one of the reasons I'm, I'm really interested in talking to you in particular, Dave, is that I'm I'm from Ireland. I'm Irish, and you're from America, the other the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, we both studied together in Canada, which I think, in cultural terms, is kind of like halfway between America right. and and Ireland. I know geographically it's closer to the U.S., but uh, culturally, <laughs> it feels to me like something of a mix of you know yeah, the USA yeah. and and England or whatever. Um, yeah, no, totally. And 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 also you have lived and studied in Spain, so we right. we have both of us have crossed the Atlantic in opposite directions, mm-hmm. and then you have your uh, Latino uh, roots and ethnicity as well. So I just like the when when we are talking about the life of the church, it's really important I think to have a sense of that it is a universal church and mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. you know existing in different countries and in different cultures and that's right. that's part of the mix and that's part of of growing um yeah uh, no totally i gotta tell you so just as a little anecdotal uh piece to what you were saying about canada i remember being in canada and it was my first time leaving uh the u.s to go north i'd spent a lot of time going south and uh when I was in Canada, it was odd because I honestly felt like in my in my global imagination, like the globe that I have in my brain, you know, that that image of the world. It was odd. As I was living in Toronto, I imagined being closer to the United Kingdom in like geography uh, than I was even to New York City, which is bizarre, of course, because I'm not. But because I think the culture of Canada is so deeply steeped in, you know, what the United Kingdom was and you know, what it still continues to be and, you know, the influence of still having the head of state be the crown, all that. I was just so surrounded by things British that even in my own geography, I started to sort of like 
think of Canada as just being one really close trip to, you know, being in, in the United Kingdom. And I was like, wow, that's bizarre. But how that happens, like the mutation of my geography based on where I am. And I think that's a really interesting experience for anybody who travels is that your sense of the world starts to change. Uh, like a map is not fixed in my in my consciousness. It starts to really change when I start to move different places, you know? Um, like Spain still in my imagination is far away, even though I live there. But <laughs> yeah, because in the United States, like we're kind of in this bubble, like, and maybe that's a political thing. Like we're kind of in this bubble right. that is isolationist and that isolation really affects the way that I imagine the rest of the world. Like Spain now to me is a world away, even though right. I lived there for two years, you know? And, and that's partly just because the USA is so big. It, it, it has the means to live within a bubble, uh, whereas Ireland yeah. does not. We have no choice but to import television and news from the United Kingdom and from the USA mm. and from Europe. It's we just there's not enough going on here for us to to to, be, <laughs> to occupy us. For uh, we yeah, we need, no, we, need more, we need more news. We need, <laughs> we need more movies than what we can produce ourselves. So there is yeah, something about yeah, the USA yeah. being self sufficient, sort of in terms mm -hmm. of quantity of of news and, and affairs um sure sure uh yeah no that's uh, great man yeah so i think you know as as we've been talking i think it should be very clear it's very clear to me that i mean there's a lot of richness in both of our experiences and you know i think you and i both have a great zeal and love for the church and a great zeal and love for the society and a great zeal and love for people and i don't think all either of us are very like like wait dave when you say this is the society what do you mean I mean, the Society of Jesus, Jesuits, Ooh, you know, you know, right. and, you know, between the two of us. And I also think that neither of us is very fussy. Like we have our idiosyncrasies, but I think we're also very free and flexible to to get into the muck of, of some difficult topics and not really feel like, you know, we're bad Catholics or bad priests for asking questions, you know, about uh, what we believe. Um, so I think, you know, so today's episode, I think, is a really good example of just, you know, let's start let's start from basics, you know, and I think that you you made a good proposal to me about this first episode. And and it's to talk about, look, if we want to talk about the church in the world today and our role in that as young men, as young Catholics, as young priests, um, let's start by asking the question, what does it mean to be church in the world and what does it mean to have a mission? Because I think we want to talk about particularities in that mission uh, over the course of this show um, with various topics. But. I think you're right. You know, we should start, as you were saying before, we are all missionary disciples. And maybe I'll just hand it off to you for a second. Talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that. So when people try and sum up, you know, the message of the gospel today or Christianity, often you will hear people say, God loves you. God loves you seems to be the... Uh, most common way of summing up, of summarizing what it is that, that we're trying to communicate to people. Mm -hmm. And and in today's culture, when you're told that somebody loves you, it sounds like, okay, they they really appreciate me. They have warm feelings towards me. They, they, they give me things. Uh, they take care of me. Uh, they want to spend time with me. It's it's you know like the way your your mother loves you or your father loves you they they take care of you and in fact uh when the more i go on in this life uh i've realized that that image of love is not sufficient to mm. to really communicate what's going on what christ is doing in my life put it that way i know i know god loves me like that is true that is undoubtedly true right right 
But, but what does love mean? Yeah. Yeah. But as as a missionary disciple, you know, God has asked me to to be to be a missionary, to be a missionary of God's love. Uh, that means that God sends me. Mm-hmm. God sends me. God missions me. God sends yeah. me out uh, into the world, into new places, like literally to Canada, to the UK, to France. You know, they're they're the countries I've been sent to geographically. Uh, now I've been sent to a new parish. And all the time, it's it's as if God is like sending me away from what is comfortable and what is nice. And I I think that uh, to to really understand what you know how Christ loves me uh, is to to understand that fully. I need to embrace the fact that Christ is missioning me and sending me, mm. and that needs to be included in what. I understand by being loved by God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like um, I, I we often talk about you know God loves you just as you are, and and I think there's obviously great truth in that. Um, but but I think it, it it lacks one thing, and it lacks a certain kind of dynamism that I think is essential to the kind of love that we share with the Father. Is that uh, in being sent, the son, you know, the son of the father, Jesus, you know, is sent by the father and he's sort of in perpetual being sent like there's this and then he sends the spirit and then, the, you know, the spirit galvanizes the church. And so it's all like it's part of the dynamic of the Trinity itself is that there's all these processions and there's all this sending of the son and the son sends the spirit, the spirit sends the church, you know, then, you know, my superior send me. And does God love me as I am? Yes, of course, but no. But then because... he says, leave. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think but that's that's a nuance that I think gets kind of yeah. lost in the way that we talk about. Like, I think, I think we've done a really great job in the church, especially in the West, uh, recently in recent generations and in recent pontificates to really talk about God's love and mercy and God reaching us and healing us and touching us in the deepness of our woundedness and all that, which is good, absolutely uh and essential but if we if we lack this dynamism of being sent on mission we start to lose that that the essential aspect of even all that healing all that mercy all of that is for the sake of go and proclaim the good news and also like god loves me as i am but also while sending me it's like god says to me david i love you but but here's a here's another goalpost move further go further i want more from you you know i want you to keep improving you know I like. You know? So, so would this be a good time, maybe, just to mention something about Ignatius and his the 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 missionary dimension of his spirituality and yeah the, about, well, so, about okay, so doing just, doing God's will, like it's a it's a sort of mysticism of God's it's, it's will. It's interesting now because, like, so full disclosure, you know, full disclosure. I think you and I are both Jesuits. We both love Ignatius. We Ignatius of Loyola, founder of the Jesuits. You know, you know, 16th century. And, and I think one of the things that I really want to offer in this podcast is, you know, my experience of Ignatian spirituality and yours as well. And, you know, that and also the expertise that we both have from having studied, you know, my time in Spain was really influential for that. The time that you did in Paris was great for that, too. Um, and I think part of that is I think that Ignatius does speak very eloquently about the value of this kind of dimension of love in the father is that everything for Ignatius I think this is one of the things that we kind of get wrong about Ignatius, frankly, is that like Ignatius, like the, the big banner of Ignatian spirituality is always discernment. Like that's mm-hmm. the big thing, like, mm-hmm. you know, discernment of spirits and like, you know, feeling to come to know how it is that God is working in my heart. Mm-hmm. Great. What does God want for me? Wonderful. Great questions. And certainly true. I would say that's one big banner of Ignatian spirituality is discernment. But I think it's it's a 
it's a superficial reading of Ignatius to abstract from his spirituality discernment uh, and divorce it from election. See, Ignatius doesn't have discernment in mind as something separate from preparing a person to make a choice. And so like we discern so as to be able to receive what is from God, reject what is not from God, and then make decisions in our life that are conducive to the glory of the Father. And I think that's a really important essential piece of Ignatian spirituality that's missing in a lot of people's versions of it is that we have this perpetual wheel of discernment or we have this perpetual motion of, you know, just feeling how God is working in my life, but not really moving in a direction of like, wait a minute, what is God asking me to do? Where is he calling me to go? And it's like when you read in the spiritual exercises, for example, which we can talk about over the course of our of our podcast is is this great patrimony of Ignatius given to the church as a great gift is the spiritual exercises, which comes from a long tradition, you know, of spiritual asceticism and and discernment. But for Ignatius, it's very clear, like the crux of the retreat, the crux of the spiritual exercises is making a choice mm-hmm. to follow Christ mm-hmm. in a certain way. Yeah. Um, and we can talk more about the election later, but I think that's an essential piece of it that says like, look, all of the spirituality of purgation of my sins, all of the spirituality of coming to know Jesus as my friend, as someone who I know intimately, mm-hmm. all of that, and maybe even more abstractly in the Catholic sense, if we move further out, it's like all of my preparation, baptism, confirmation, receiving the Eucharist, going to confession, all of that is in preparation for and also to facilitate the walking with uh, Jesus in a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I love that. I love that. It's not just like, Hey, just sit back and like, enjoy good feelings from the father. It's like, yeah, get up and move. So it's, it's funny you say that because on uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so t- today is, is Monday uh, when we're recording this feast of Pope St. John, John the 23rd. 23rd. Amen to, yeah. to him. Pope. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I spent a few days up in Donegal in the Northwest of Ireland, uh, with uh, um, a youth, a kind of young person's evangelization uh, initiative called Net Ministries. I think they they operate mm. on on both both sides both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. When I was uh, a kid, I went on a retreat with them. Oh, really? Wow, they're yeah. okay. Right, they're, they're they've been going a long time then. Uh, so they're <laughs> they're, they're relative. <laughs> that was not a dig. They're, no, they're they're relatively new in on these shores. Uh, but anyway, f- on my second day there, I I preached a little bit about the discernment of spirits and and how it could be of of real help uh, to these young young missionaries. And afterwards, uh, one of them just you know we were uh, kind of came up to me and said, "Okay, I'm I'm really down with with discernment uh, of spirits. I think it's really important. But then what? Like, what do you do? Like, what what then?" And I said, "Well, you do it." <laughs> like you do the thing that you have discerned and that's yeah. it like the discernment is over uh it's mm-hmm. like discernment mm-hmm. is not this you know ongoing you know permanent state that somehow you're you know somebody sitting on the fence and 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 weighing up you know what, what what way is the wind blowing or whatever it's no at this time i have this decision to make and i've discerned that this is what is for the greater glory of god and yeah so i'm gonna do it that's it uh yeah action Absolutely. I, I got to tell you, so we, I think maybe in a future episode, it would be good to maybe do a deeper dive into right. the discernment of spirits and into the right. rules and stuff. And I, and I think one of the things that you're saying is, is reminding me of a conversation I had last week. I was invited. I'm, so I'm living in Miami now and mm-hmm. I am working at our parish here uh, in, in uh, downtown Miami, but I was invited. We have a high school here too. And I was invited to speak to the, the men, the, the, it's a men's school. It's a boy's school um, to their sodality, which is their, their small group of men, 
dedicated to the faith and, you know, under the patronage of Our Lady and all that, uh, which is beautiful. And so they invited me to come speak on Ignatian spirituality. And one of the things that I mentioned to them in, in this vein with discernment was that in a very real way, and this is an all boys school, I said, I think this is a really important topic, especially when it's tied back to the election, tied back to making a choice for our time, because one of the, I think, noticeable and very obvious crises, especially in Western cultures, is that there's a crisis, especially among young men, of not being able to make decisions, is that right. so many young men, and this is probably expanded out also to young women, I don't really know that well, but at least from my experience as a man who was discerning, I didn't want to make choices. I didn't want to have to decide between A and B. I wanted everything to just stay on the table and be safe mm -hmm. with having options open, thinking that freedom is having as many options open and on the table as possible. When in truth, like true freedom comes with limiting myself to one or the other thing and then going deep and taking a deep dive into that thing, you know? Um, and I was mentioning that to these young men. Personally, I get, I get stressed when there are like 40 options on the food menu when I go into a restaurant. It's like, I would prefer yeah, there to be... give me one option. Yeah. Well, you know, four. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's you know, right. Maybe, That's right. That's right. Know, maybe someday I'm, I want chicken and another day I want vegetarian. You know, so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, when you have just an absolute plethora of options, that that is stressful. Actually. Right. And I, yeah. I don't think it's conducive ultimately to freedom is that when you have mm -hmm. all this all of these options, it's like we, I think there's a paralysis that happens, you know? And so I think that there's a paralysis of discernment that's happened in Ignatian spirituality, which I think undercuts the missionary drive of the church, which is that yeah. there's no paralysis here. It's like even the, the man, the paralytic that Jesus heals in Mark's gospel, it's like paralysis healed. Now go, <laughs> go. get your mat oh, and walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now go, nope. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You're, yeah, you're not, you're not allowed to sit down for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's like, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, now, maybe, yeah. maybe this would be a good time as well to give a shout out to Gord Rickson, Father Gord, who, who we lived with in Toronto, hmm. because I remember Gord talking about, like, um, you know, he, he had so many Jesuits, scholastics, Jesuit seminarians in that house over the years. And I remember him whenever the, the issue of, of guys sort of falling in love and, and leaving or whatever came up, he had this, this great saying, he would say, you can have two loves, but you can only have one life. And, and you oh. have to, and you have to decide <laughs> it's like, okay, you're allowed to, you know, whatever for a period. Okay. You, you meet somebody and you, you have feelings for them or okay. Like that happens, but you need to decide what is your life? Is your life yeah. with her, you know, leaving and getting married, or is your life here in the society in this, yeah. and and, yeah. and living, you know, as a priest in the society? Uh, what is your? You can have right. two loves, but you can only have one life, and choo wow. choose, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. because uh, if you have a life, you know, if you're trying to live two lives, it literally doesn't work. It will tear you apart. It will tear. Yeah, you, yeah. absolutely. Like it's like having having a foot and on two skateboards or something, and like them both kind of going oh totally like in different directions it would yeah um yeah i mean i think it's part of the beautiful irony of discernment is that i think we've we've been convinced or deceived or something into thinking that as long as i have all of my options open uh then i'm free i'm freer you know mm -hmm. um and the irony is that actually and i kind of want to say this to people sometimes when they're discerning between you know religious life or priesthood or marriage or whatever it's kind of like well it does matter but does it really matter i mean like at the end of the day, choose something and then like see how it fits. <laughs> mm -hmm. If it doesn't fit, then okay, you have more data. Mm -hmm. But it's almost this like desire to have this 
a priori certainty of everything before it's like, look, just jump out of the boat, boat and bro, like, and start trying to walk on water and see if you'll sink, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know. I think that's one of the drives that I have, I think, in doing this podcast is to speak about these sorts of topics, you know, is that because I really do think there's a crisis of decision making. And I think it does impede being missionary disciples. Like Jesus doesn't say, come and sit with me, you know, and he doesn't say, come right. and like, maybe, maybe consider three years of dedication with me. Like there's no, there's no provisional discipleship. It's only yeah. like you either with me or you're not, I, you know? I, so I think it's at the beginning of the gospel of Mark when he's, when he's calling disciples, um, it's clear that he is calling them to sort of work with him and, you know, be itinerant uh, preachers uh, and ministers with him um, and to knuckle down to that work. But there's also that dimension of just being with him. Uh, And, but I I think it's really important that, that you get both of those. Like I know we're, we're, we just spent the last whatever, 15 minutes saying, oh, it's not enough to just cuddle up with Jesus. You know, you need to get out there in the road and, <laughs> you, you know, be, you know, get, get, get your action on. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's true. It's both. It's both. It's, it's time spent with the lover. And it is also time spent like rolling up your sleeves because Jesus is yeah. also rolling up his sleeves at this moment. Like God, you know, and, and maybe this is a time yeah. to, to talk about, uh, you know, Ignatius view of, of Christ and redemption of the world, but like literally that is what God is doing at the moment. God is sure. redeeming the world, bringing about the kingdom. Yeah. Now I'm going to push back a little bit and I'm going to say, <laughs> because I want to vindicate Martha. I don't think Martha is the, is the, the, the villain of that parable, you know, of that story. And I think people give her a bad, a bad, uh, uh, a bad rap a little bit and people often think of mary as the better one no it's i like, no I, I think maybe not not to push back but it's like that's a good example of both you know both of them being important well i'm with sure. jesus in this one and i think martha was the bad one okay <laughs> <laughs> i disagree with you and i agree with jesus there we go. <laughs> well see but like later on in john's gospel when they are doing the the story of the resurrection of lazarus where is mary mary's back home and martha's the one that comes out and meets jesus and talks to him about Lazarus. Yeah, so it's like, thank God he had given her that salutary lesson about like <laughs> get, <laughs> right. get the balance right. So that, yeah. oh man, oh, okay, that's okay. Another, that's this, another, is, this is going to be a sticking point. We'll, another, well, I'll yeah, defend yeah, my Martha yeah, later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, uh, Niall, maybe you could do something for me. Like, can you? You talked a lot about you know, so you know, Jesus being sent from the Father, and like I, I talked a little bit about election and discernment. Can you just can we take a step back for a second and can you speak a little bit more about how the church envisions, you know, uh, the the role of being missionaries in the world, missionary disciples? What is that missionary drive that the church has? Because Ignatius fits within that, you know, right. and so let's not be let's let's not abstract Ignatius as if he was something apart from what the church already is speaking to us about in terms of what is our missionary call. So the question is, what is the church's mission? Like whatever it is that. Jesus is calling me to do in life or where he's calling me to be in life it it is part it is to as catholics it it means being part of the church's mission uh, it's not just my personal mission right. uh, but w- there's there's right. a corporate dimension uh, to what to what God is calling me to so i think it's really important to just to get a sense of well, what what is the church's mission what what are we all together trying to do and trying to achieve and 
in a word, uh, in a way, this is an answer to that question, but uh, it, it also demands a further question. In a word, the answer to the question, what is the church's mission, is evangelization. That, that evangelization is the church's mission. And uh, that has been affirmed again and again uh, by the Pope and the bishops. Um, one, one document that really does a, a deep dive on this is Evangelii Nuntiandi. Uh, which was a post-synodal uh, apostolic exhortation. There we go, lots of technical words. Uh, but basically by, written by Paul VI. Um, so we're in the yeah. aftermath of the, of the Second Vatican Council. And they're, they're, they are asking, yeah, what, what is the church's mission and what, and what, what is evangelization? Uh, so that's, that's the second question. Okay, if the church's mission is evangelization, well, please, Holy Father, please explain what is evangelization. Uh, because that, right. that, that needs teasing out too. Um, mm -hmm. so and to give a little background to this question, there are, there are lots of Catholics out there doing really good things, doing really good work, uh, whether it be in their family or, you know, in their, in their workplace, in Catholic institutions like schools or universities or hospitals, um, in parishes, uh, some, uh, with, uh, you know, to, characterize them kind of simply some with a more kind of spiritual orientation explicitly spiritual religious others just very material concrete um trying to better the material conditions for people in the world so right. you have you have you have a lot of people you know doing different things and who see and and in different parts of the world as well like churches in different parts of the world possibly see different priorities like immediate priorities of what like needs to be done now like what is the church's yeah. mission here and now in this place um so right. so the pope and the bishops have come together and say okay we need we need to gather all this and we need a really broad and deep uh under and holistic kind of understanding of what evangelization is because some people some catholics are taking a part of it of what evangelization is and making right. that the whole and that's exactly. problematic uh that is problematic mm -hmm. because they're either ignoring part of it or or not seeing the part as as part of the whole and yeah it's yeah so typical example would be they give the example of um well, two examples to be fair uh one example would be um that the proclamation of the word that just by you know preaching that whatever god exists jesus is his son jesus loves you um pro proclaiming that charisma that mm -hmm. even though that's such an essential part of of evangelization that to reduce evangelization to that is to miss the point hmm. because there's more going on in evangelization uh similarly to be working for the improvement of the material conditions of the world for example you know feeding and educating the poor um, or trying to uh, improve uh, the social structures of the world um, that's part that's part of the church's mission of evangelization but yeah. to reduce it to that or just to focus too much on that 
um, maybe, sure. maybe, you know, missing out on uh, the importance of a transcendent God that, you know, we are called to, to love and worship yeah. and, you know, um, well, that is, that then becomes basically these things, be, they, they cease to be evangelization and, and they become a kind of a, like a warped, I don't know, worldview or, mm-hmm. and, and they have to kind of have the seeds of their own destruction within them. So, sure, so, sure, so sure. the synod is evangelically Nutienda is really going out to try and say, no, it, there is a ho- there is a broad complex evangelization is a broad and complex thing and we need to keep all of its parts together and that's the only way right. the church is doing what it's meant to do yeah you know i so one of the nuances there that i i think is important to maybe ask you to uh help me understand a little bit better is like does evangelization so like if the church's mission is to evangelize does evangelize mean uh, giving witness to our faith in like living our faith with integrity, both and and with coherence, like preaching the charisma, uh, celebrating the mysteries, and doing the works of charity. Just because that's what we do, and doing them well with fidelity and integrity, that's evangelization. Or is evangelization going out and making new Christians um, of other people? So those are obviously not mutually exclusive, but I think that might be another tension and another bifurcation where there's like. Well, I'm just living my faith with integrity, depth, understanding, fidelity, or on the other side is no, no, no. Like I'm tasked with helping bring people into the body of Christ. And I can see that those two things can go in opposite directions where there's more of a privatization of the faith on one extreme where it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm living my faith really well. Like I'm feeding the poor, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm going to mass, I'm going to confession, but it's a very private thing. And the other one maybe lacks a little bit of that interior life where it's like all my drive is, is to convince you, you know, to become a Christian, you know, and maybe, I don't know. I don't know if you see that tension there, but there's something there that I don't know how to reconcile well. Yeah. And, and I suppose it, it, it can be difficult to to move out of that private sphere uh, of, of religion or considering religion to be your faith, to be your own private thing, when that's precisely what the world is telling you, that Okay, mm. you do you. You're a Christian. You're a Catholic. You go to mass on Sundays. Fine, um, but but that that's for you and your private life. And do not allow those beliefs or those convictions to to spill over, say, into mm-hmm. you know the the workplace or 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 your your neighbors even. So there there can be, I think, social forces trying to keep keep our faith as a as a as a set of private convictions. Um, right. Then again, you know, on the on the other side, like we do, there there is nothing worse than than somebody who just kind of bangs on about their faith, their religion, you know, hoping hoping right, to convince, right. just win arguments, and like that. Basically, that's what Catholic Twitter is, you know, or, or yeah. you know, it's just it's just all I just find uh, on the internet that there are so many kind of angry voices out there trying to convince, right. win arguments. And that, mm-hmm. that is not, that is not evangelization. God, I mean, who'd want to be part of that? Hey, do you want to be part of this club of believers who <laughs> constantly annoy people and bang on <laughs> sounds because they have all the answers? Right, like, right. Uh, no, I, I'd much rather stay out of that, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And, and I think maybe one nuance that's helpful for me too, is that like, like the word evangelization, you know, hinges on the proclamation of good news, you know? So like, there's good news here. And so the good news here of Jesus Christ is something that I can't help but live and confess and integrate, but also share. Like that sharing is a part of 
uh, living my faith, you know, like giving witness to my faith, sharing it is a part of that. Not because, mm-hmm. you know, I need to like rack up the number of conversions this year, uh, but because like if I have good news now, like I want I want to share it with you, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like because we're friends mm-hmm. and it's like I want to tell you about, you know, my new nephew or my new niece because it's great news and I want you to share in that joy. And so I mean, like evangelization as sharing in the joy of the gospel, sharing in the joy of the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, and like in our actions, in our words, in our worship, um, mm-hmm. but sharing that, you know, mm-hmm. and not because I want to convert you, but because I want to share with you the joy that I have, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's one of the things that Pope Francis is really beautiful on, you know, is the joy of the gospel that yeah. I don't do a good job on. I try my best to like intentionally smile when I preach because sometimes I come off a little bit harsh or a little strong. And it's like, no, 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 like I believe this because it's good news. <laughs> and I want to I want to make sure that you know that I I'm actually happy when I say this. <laughs> so what, what one of the, the things that uh, questions that are distinctions that helped me get into this topic of evangelization a bit more was to make the distinction between evangelizing activity. What are evangelizing activities? Such as you know, proclaiming mm. the gospel, uh, witnessing to your faith, um, be, you know, being a good neighbor, you know, and and you know, saying intelligent things about about what you believe, for example, you know, like uh, proclaiming it, like uh, in words. They they are all evangelizing activities, and yeah. But what what is the purpose of evangelizing? What what is evangelization meant to achieve? And going back to Evangelii Nuntianda here, um, it says that evangelization is meant to bring about the inner renewal of all things, all things, Mm. like the whole, like every part of creation. Like that's what the kingdom of God is. If evangelization is meant to bring about, bring around uh, the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus came to do, you know, to, you know, he has, Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom of God, you know, for going back to salvation history by dying and rising again, Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom of God. So it is already a reality and are by participating in Christ's plan for salvation, we are helping to realize that kingdom in, in the world. Um, That's what's happening. Right. That's basically what we're, we're all buying into. Uh, by being by being Christians, um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's right. Well, what is that? What does that actually look like in the work? Because that's what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so it's and it's good to have that in mind when you are when you are preaching or witnessing or or sharing or whatever. It's it's not it's like the goal isn't just that. Oh, okay, that this person now believes that I'm right or something. It's that this person will be part of, a, a, will have a sort of an, a personal interior renewal in their lives. Uh, you know, the grace of Christ yeah. will will change them in some way for the better um, and will make them happier and, and holier, but also that they will be part of a collective conversion uh, that yeah. the, the culture of our, you know, of your town or, or of your province or nation will will be changed and will become a, a place where justice and peace will flourish. Yeah, well, to take a page out of your book, you know, leaven and dough helps rise for bread, you know? And so 
we can be the leaven in the dough for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, the image of the kingdom, I think is helpful. So like, you know, when Ignatius speaks about the election, you know, one of the ways that he prepares the election is to talk about the call of the king, which is a meditation and the spiritual exercises that it might also be worth to go into a little bit more in depth later. But what, what I like about him talking about the call of the king, it's, it's not the meditation or contemplation on the call of the disciples. It's the call of Jesus as king calling us into discipleship, into following and having this disposition to uh, receive the grace to be quick to answer to his call. And I think that's one of the things that's important with that meditation is that the king is calling us to collaborate in his mission. And the thing is that when we speak about a king often uh, in his kingdom, and I think this is precisely what Jesus is not doing, is just to be subjects within his reign, under his reign. But like in that meditation in particular, which I think is part of evangelization, is that if you want to like participate in my kingdom with me on campaign, with me sharing in my glory and also sharing in my suffering and in the campaign of the king as one of my you know, as one of my soldiers, as one of my knights, as one of the ones who collaborates with me as king, like, don't you feel attracted to me as king to follow? And I'm the good king that you will want to follow into battle. But I love that because the imagery is not so much that Jesus is king who hovers over me and enslaves me and puts me down into some sort of subservient of obedience. Of course, I have that kind of like servile obedience, but also he calls me friend. And calling me friend, I want to collaborate in the mission of building the kingdom of God, not because I have the tools to do so, but because he does. And he invites me into this mission to be a part of the building of the kingdom of God, you know, sharing in his glory and in his suffering. And I think that that's the way that Ignatius begins the whole process of the second week to prepare the election is that do you feel called to collaborate with Jesus in his mission, you know, to build the kingdom of God on earth and, you know, and to inaugurate that kingdom? And I think that's a really beautiful way of describing evangelization is that it's not really me. It's Jesus, mm. you know, who's working the work, uh, doing the work of building the kingdom of God and, and inaugurating that and ushering us into eternal life. And I'm a collaborator in that. Like, I'm not, I'm also not like, you know, a worm. Like, I'm not a miserable thing. Like, no, no, no. He, he sees me with great nobility and integrity to be worthy of collaborating in that mission. He's given me his spirit. He's baptized me for the sake of evangelization. You know, he's ordained me for the sake of service and for, you know, preaching the good news and the helping to heal the wounded and, and to care for the sick. Like, you know, he sees me as someone who has value, you know, in that collaboration. And I think that's one of the reasons that's great to talk about evangelization in this way is that we have a role to play, not because, not just because, you know, we're bored, but because Jesus needs us. I think he wants us, you know, to, to work in this, in this mission field. Like Teresa of Avila's great line that we often quote is, you know, that he has no hands or feet but ours, you know. So when you're praying, you know, in front of the tabernacle at the start of a day, um, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily praying for, you know, Jesus, please, you know, help me uh, with, uh, with my exam or, please, you know, I need a new set of shoes or pair of shoes. You know, it's, it's not for me. It's Lord, what are we doing today? Like what, how are you mm. redeeming my little part of the world today? And how can I help you with that? Like, cause that's, yeah. that's doing the will of God. Like God, God wills, you know, all, all things to, to be made new and renewed. And it's, you know, we're saying, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm ready to campaign with you. Um, I, you know, if this requires a little bit of suffering on my part, okay, uh, so be it. But I know yeah. there will be a resurrection at the end of that and it will all be worth it. And, 
your love will reign a little bit more in this world. Right. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's a beautiful way of describing prayer. I think it's it's even all Christian prayer. I think should be aimed towards action, mission, you know, and in, in any sort of whatever way that's given in a particular charism. Like maybe it's me being very Jesuit and overplaying my hand, but like all of our prayer is apostolic in that sense. Is that you know it's rekindling that fire of intimacy with the Lord for the sake of you know, going out into the vineyard, you know, not to replace prayer with action, mm-hmm. but to say that there's this, this mutual feeding of the, con- the, the contemplative in action and all that. And I think it's a beautiful thing that you said, like asking the Lord, how can I help you in your mission today? What are you doing to- today, Lord? And that's the sermon. That's the exam. Mm-hmm. it's how can I know, be in tune with what God is doing today in my, in my environs, you know, and I, as a collaborator in that vineyard, like that's me evangelizing, not because I have a lot to share, but because Jesus has a lot of work that he wants done here, and he's asking me to collaborate in that. And that's awesome, you know, and that's a beautiful thing. And yeah, I don't know. I don't often think that way. And I think a lot of times the the sin of pride gets in because I start to replace, you know, the project of the of the reign of God with my own projects. You know, my vanity when I preach when I preach on Sundays, often vanity creeps in. It's like, will people like what I say? Will people like what I'm saying and preaching? And it's like when did I forget that it's not about me? <laughs> and I forget it nearly every time I go to the pulpit. So sometimes I get nervous before preaching or before liturgy. And one of the the tools I use or things I tell myself is, you know, it has already been accomplished. You know, Jesus, what, whatever good thing that I'm hoping will come from this homily um, or from celebrating this liturgy, from presiding, it is already accomplished. It is done. You know, Jesus has, yeah. has, has won the victory over, over sin and death. So, you know, right. if something good is to come of this, it's just a little unrolling of that. You know, it's like the hard work is done. I just, I just need to deliver the words now. <laughs> and sure. Please God, they will. Yeah. But, yeah. but the force by which those words will bear fruit, uh, that, that is, that is Christ. That is Christ has done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm just a little, I'm like the delivery mm-hmm. boy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like at the, at the end, at the end of that long, yeah. long process. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah, it is, it has already been accomplished. Yeah. 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 You know, just to be a thorn in your side, uh, one of the, one of the classes I took last year, we were reading, uh, from the church fathers and I can't, I can't remember exactly who the church father was, uh, who said this, but, uh, <laughs> he was pointing out that in the, in the story of Mary and Martha, uh, just just to go back for a second there, he was saying, though Mary chose the better part, Martha was listening in from the kitchen. So even though Mary and Martha were doing different things, Martha at least could get an echo of what the word of God was happening while she was working. And so it kind of gets back to that point about, you know, like, how can there be the unity of the, the contemplation and the action in both things, you know, um, which is an essential part of of the charism for sure. But regardless, we can we can return to Mary and Martha at another time. Uh, I just find that Martha is someone worth vindicating, even in that little respect. Um, so hey, so just uh, for the sake of uh, this first episode, why don't we just take a step back and zoom out and like we've talked about a lot of different things, and let's just give some order to maybe where do you see this podcast going? What are the kinds of things that you're interested in us talking about? Where do you think there's real need to to specify the mission of evangelization in the church today as young priests, young men that we can observe and things we care about, things that need to be spoken about? that matter and that we can maybe maybe explore a little bit what are you thinking i would certainly be interested dave in in looking at uh, more closely some of the dimensions of evangelization mentioned in in evangeline Antiandi, 
for example, proclamation of the words. And there, there's, I'll, I'll just go th- through a few of them here, actually, if you don't mind. The, the, there, there's a sort of a, a cycle of, of evangelization uh, that, that it talks about. And first of all, it starts with witness. So evangelization is, is witnessing kind of in your being and in your person just to, to the love of Christ that, look, it, it, when somebody sees your life, that they could say, well, that life doesn't make sense only the only thing that makes sense of that life is god is the love of god like that that person would not be like that only for the fact that that you know god is has really you know is in their soul or whatever so so it's witnessing what you know often in a silent way just just by our actions after witness you know pope paul VI says witness is not is is essential but it's not enough because at some point you have to put words on you know you have to speak so that people can understand why it is that you live as you do or, or how you live as you do. Um, and, that, and that is the proclamation of, of the kerygma, which includes preaching and, and catechesis. So, so witness leading to proclamation of the word. That then leads to the acceptance of, of that message or the acceptance of, of grace into one's life. Uh, so preaching is... Preaching is useless unless the person who hears actually accepts the truth that they have heard. Mm. So, wow, you know, Jesus really does love me mm-hmm. or Jesus really does forgive me or, or want to uh, heal me or, or whatever it is. Like there's, there's got to be some adherence in, in one's own life and, and that, that inner renewal. So proclamation leading to the kind of acceptance uh, and assimilation, I guess, of the message into one's own life. That part of that is entry into the church. So we're not we're not called to be followers of Christ as individuals, but right. collectively. Right. And that community of believers has a name. It's called the church. Mm-hmm. So not to be too flippant about it, sorry. Yeah, that is so being sort of incorporated into the body of believers um, of other people, of all the other people whose whose lives have been touched by Christ, that is part of evangelization too sure and and then you know i mean keeping the life of the church going the liturgical life of the church going participating in sacraments and all that that's that's part of it and then out of that then the person who has been evangelized begins to evangelize themselves so like it's full the circle goes all the way around and it starts again yeah it goes yeah. full circle and so, so there's, I mean, yeah, a, a bit of a cycle of evangelization. I think each of those, you know, it could, it could be interesting to, to talk about, talk about. Yeah, that. totally. Um, I'll just throw like my hat in the ring here and say too, like, I think one of the things that would be helpful for us to talk about is I, we haven't done a great job of introducing ourselves in this episode. We can maybe spend some more time a little later, uh, talking about our mm-hmm. own experience of, of becoming, you know, disciples of Christ and, you know, I think we became disciples at our baptism, but I don't think you and I, you know, started proclaiming the word with much conviction at that point. And so, you know, how our own journey has been. And I say that because one topic that could be helpful to bring up is how to discern our own mission within that broader mission of evangelization of the church, you know? And so, um, you know, when people speak of discernment and speak of mission, people often start thinking about what my vocation will be. And, you know, I think you and I can do a good job of maybe giving witness to what we've done and experienced in our lives and what the missions we've received um also just how people can discern you know that mission in their own lives i think another big area that might be good for us to explore a little bit more we've touched on it here is 
like I, I have a vested interest in, in, in sort of, uh, bringing out Ignatius, you know, of Loyola as a great, as a great example, just someone as a great hero of mine and yours and talking about him as in his experience of discerning a mission. Cause I think he was, he was at a hinge point in history, like Teresa of Avila was like John of the cross was like the Norbertines were like so many great saints were in the time of the 16th century, you know, a great hinge figure that, you know, was the impetus for a tremendous amount of good and change in the church, you know, and I think it'd be great to, uh, you know, sort of retrieve his, his, uh, the complexity of his character, you know, because he's not as simple as I think yeah. a lot of us want to reduce him to. Uh, so I think we might de- dedicate a whole episode of Ignatius at some point. Great. Uh, one, one final thing. I, I, I think one of the, the key issues for, for Catholics and to understand today is how do faith and, and sort of inner personal belief or in renewal, how, how are they related to social change? Hmm. You know, like how how do we go from this me being impacted by by Christ to society actually changing uh, yeah. for the better? Yeah, I, I I really think that's kind of at at the crux of it. I mean, that, that's when it becomes very real, and that's when you can really suffer. Actually, you know, because uh, you're you're bound to anytime you're promoting justice and fairness in the world, you're going to come up against. A lot of resistance often from christians <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah definitely and i would definitely like to talk about the sacred heart of jesus at some point as well i'm just getting getting in that that in early i uh, last summer i visited paris le monial <laughs> in france oh which is the home of the, the sacred heart devotion and, and and private revelations to saint margaret mary alacoque wow it it really sparked sparked something in me, and I promise not to make every episode about the Sacred Heart of Jesus, <laughs> but uh, I would appreciate the opportunity to talk about that sometime. Yeah, well, I am a good audience member for you because I know very little and <laughs> would love and appreciate learning some more about about that. Like, you, I, I don't think you and I are, are both really like the like experts in a lot of these a lot of the devotion to the church and a lot of these different things so i think at some point it'd also be great you know so many things that we've talked about already there's plenty of people that you and i both know that could probably collaborate so we can probably invite some people you know could probably share in a conversation with us about like you and i have a buddy who lives in rome who's a great expert on the sacred heart so it might be good to invite him on the show you know for sure you're talking about Pope francis there are you Oh, no, Julio. You meant Julio. I didn't want to give it away, but no. <laughs> yeah, man. That would be good for the ratings, wouldn't it, if we could get... <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. Or it could it could, or it could, could tank us, depending on who our audience is, because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sadly, sadly. Yeah. Um, no, anyway, buddy, hey, I think this is a great first first take and first stab and first episode at our show, and I think yeah, we have, uh, we have some good things to work on. Dave, we spoke for a whole hour. When was the last time I got to speak to you for an hour? That was, that I think, was fantastic. Well, I think it was probably back when we were in Toronto. Back in Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my word. Good, okay. buddy. All right, man, until okay, next time. Let's see you there. God bless, man. Peace. Bye-bye.